Two Poor Bastards contains explicit content and drunken ramblings. Listener discretion is advised. Two Poor Bastards, where two friends get drunk, talk whiskey, and their favorite pop culture obsessions. This is Eric. This is Kyle. This is John. Welcome. We uh, are going to be covering Knob Creek Single Barrel Rye, a uh, select from the West 7th Liquor Barrel, and we're going to be talking about, I think, everyone's favorite movie in this room, one of the tops, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So uh, let's get off with the whiskey. Tell us a little bit about it. All right. So the whiskey we have here is a single barrel store pick from, of course, our favorite place, West 7th Liquor Liquor Barrel. And this one here is 115 proof, so it's a little hotter than your normal one. Uh, And it comes with a little cool tag here that gives us all the information on it. So on the tag that comes with it, it says it was selected by... Uh, liquor barrel staff um, it lets us know when it was barreled so when the whiskey was put in the barrel which is 11 5 12 which november 5th is my birthday so it was put Aww. in the barrel on my birthday and then it was selected by the staff on 2 15 18 so it's five years three months old um, and it even goes down to tell us the barrel number warehouse it was stored in which floor which rack and which tier so at the the store when i went to pick it up they actually have a map of the warehouse that it was in and it shows the exact location so this one was actually on the top floor uh, towards the outside so thinking about that that's not the most ideal place uh, for a barrel selection typically the sweet spots right in the middle dead center but then again since it's not very old just a little bit over five years old being on the outside edge especially on the top floor um, where there's even more wild temperature swings could help towards aging it for it not being as old as it is gotcha well let's get into sniffing it give it a smell here So I'm if right you can away. actually smell out of your glass because <laughs> you were having your technical difficulties earlier. <laughs> I, I get a little swass, but I think that's my unclean glass. Yeah, this glass is this smells like glass, so nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but what's I love inside? The, but but for the inside part, um, I do get a little heat. I took a big inhale earlier, and it did make me cough a little bit. Yep, because it's a higher proof. A uh, little bit of spices. Pepper, a uh, little bit of vanilla. Brown sugar? Brown, definitely brown sugar. Something a little on the fruity side, too. I smell a little oh, like my hand. leather. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like spaghetti. <laughs> I get a little leathery kind of sweet leather, maybe. <laughs> some, some musk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I smell a knob or a creek out of this. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't either. 
Even if a knob was dipped in a creek, <laughs> it smell like this. Is that a euphemism for something, or I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, let's go with the taste of them. So immediately, it's bright in the back of my mouth. Very. Again, I'm getting more of the spicy, peppery thing that you get out of it. But, of course, it's a rye whiskey. Those things are going to stick out more often than other ones. I don't know what the mash bill is on something like this. But I'd suspect it's more rye than something that we've encountered, say, from Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Uh, Jim Beam is the, the parent company of Knob Creek here. I don't know what they use for rye. But my my guess is definitely more than the minimum of fifty one percent. It's not quite like a a face full of like black pepper, but it's definitely spicy in that regard. Mm-hmm. Where it's got a little bit. It's yeah. not like a cinnamon uh, spice. It's definitely like ground pepper. Yeah, that kind of pepper, not like hot pepper. <laughs> right, exactly. That kind of thing. Just to clarify, but it's not like menthol and eucalyptusy like. Um, MGP rye, where they're ninety five percent rye. It's not quite like that. Very warm. Like this would yeah. be good on a cold ass day. Yeah, I'd say the the finish is definitely a spicy, lasting. I would say it's short but warm. Short and warm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm described that way sometimes. A little on the thin side. <laughs> now the finish on this isn't thin. Maybe you can describe to me when I when I'm drinking this. Unlike other whiskeys, I sort of feel like I I can feel the path that it's taking as it goes in my mouth. I know that sounds super weird, but it feels like it hits the tongue, and goes up before it goes back. A lot of them just sort of like hot straight down the tongue into the throat do you get any of that and what i definitely feel it's uh, yes the the traveling is it that it's just going up into my nose and i just i sort of feel it getting tense up there i'd say that's that's probably due to the rye where you are getting more spicy things where it's hitting more areas Hmm. and you're tasting more and different things than you might be used to Activating different parts of your palate. Right. It's Dece. I don't know if I'd buy another bottle. I mean, I kind of feel like I should just because it was barreled on my birthday and just to have it and say, here, I have this from this date. Kind of like the same thing. I want a bottle of Blanton's. It was bare, you know, put in a bottle, bottled on my birthday. That'd be cool too, just because. Just because. Well, but wasn't this your uh, first like over the hill birthday where you're saying like there's there's nothing left for you anymore kind of thing? I the it's been like year. that the past thirty <laughs> some years. <Okay. laughs> 
There's, there's definitely nothing else to look forward to besides the sweet release from this mortal coil. <laughs> nothing better than a whiskey on the shelf to remind you that you will someday just fall into the grave. Yes. Right? Hopefully it's rolled into a ditch. <laughs> but... So once I'm gone, I don't really care. And if that makes it easy for everyone else, then by all means, does it roll me right in? I mean, what I'll do for you is I'll tie a bunch of bricks to you and just roll you over an overpass into a creek. Okay. Or, or as long as it's not Knob Creek. <laughs> or it could stuff you in a trunk. Stuff you in a trunk, throw you in the, the, the pond, and then when we regret the decision, we shoot the lock open. Oh, I'm getting a little too far myself. Sorry. <laughs> as long as you don't ruin my face, <laughs> we're, we're good to go. Would you want a Viking funeral? Yes, I, I definitely does. would. You and all of your earthly possessions go with you. Much like they say in, what is it, Sunset Riders? Now I feel like an idiot because I should know right away. I'd die. I'd be like, bury me with my money. <laughs> <laughs> All $25 of it. Yes, my, my bank account won't be part of it. It'll just be things that I spent rather than putting the money into it's my bank account. It's just a printout of your account with your bank because all your money's digital yeah. anyway. There's no cash involved here. Yes, my statement reminding me on paper that I don't have any money. That's a good idea. All right, do we have anything else to say about... The whisk. It's decent. It, you would have it. You're not going to rush out and get another bottle. This is not something you have to have. No, but if I was somewhere in, say, the, like a restaurant or something, and their selection wasn't all that great, but they had something like this, I, I would definitely probably order it if I was at the restaurant. If there weren't better choices. If there weren't better. Okay. I am not a huge fan of anything Beam does until you get... You know, to the Japanese side, now that Suntory owns them. But I'd say, out of what they have, like, this is good. The best thing that I had was the Booker's Rye, but that's something completely different as it's not available anymore, and that was $300 a bottle. Damn. Okay. So, before we get into the main topic, how excited is everyone for One Punch Man Season 2? I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if I'm as excited for that as I would be for um, the other show, uh, Mob Psycho. That I tend to enjoy a little more than One Punch Man, but I'll definitely watch it. I've not. But again, seen... it's not coming out till what 2020. I, just the fact that they're making half the time yeah. you watch these shows, they get a season, and then you never know if they'll ever co- come back again. So just the fact that they... Or you get the rare one where at the last episode, at the end, they're like, we're greenlit for another episode or another season. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, Berserk, Pop Team, Epic both kind of did that at the very last moment. I feel like One Punch Man has just been sitting on the shelf for long enough that... Yeah. Well, and that was popular enough where I would expect another season in there to not be any kind of, you know, back and forth on that decision. And I don't know if it's just sort of a, a PR thing to, to make it seem like it's it's taking longer, so therefore it will be higher quality. I mean, we all know what quality the One Punch Man stuff's going to be. They aren't going to drop the ball on another season. It should be pretty sweet from beginning to end. They're aware. 
maybe it's taking so long because they're making it so much better. I fucking hope so. Although they did a really good job with the first one. Yeah. I mean, the animation was top quality. So Yeah, I like I didn't know what the hell I was getting into because I didn't know about the manga beforehand, so I just saw it on Netflix and I mean it's pretty self explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, how many how much anime is on Netflix that they've dumped half a billion dollars into anime and well, well, but most just of the in stuff a, they have on there is garbage. In a exactly. quick search, just looking at title screens, you can pretty much tell the the trash from the gold. One Punch Man had me on the fence until I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And I did not regret it. was It's a fantastic series. Now, the real question is, do you think that One Punch Man is just an evolution of Quail Man from Doug? Because that's what <laughs> Holy I... Holy shit. I didn't even think of that. That's kind of what it looked like from the beginning. Just sort of like the amateur superhero kind of thing. Um and really, his his exercise regimen would make you believe maybe he is just Quail Man, you know, Quail Man, possibly. But he doesn't have a dog sidekick, so I doesn't wear a belt around his head. Right, but so that it's completely different then. He's got still sort of the the underwear look. I don't know. Yeah, it's I it's true. I didn't think of that at all. But you're completely right. It actually took me a moment to figure. I out won't what be able to watch it in the same light again. Yeah, no shit. One of the things that I don't understand is in the beginning, and maybe they explain this in the manga, is how did he go bald? He worked out so much that his hair fell out. That that was an explanation that he gave in the series. Okay. So it's been a while then. That's one thing. I remember him being regular dude, hair, suit, and then just deciding that he's going to be a hero. And then. But what was the regiment? It was like 100 push ups, 100 sit ups, running 10 miles. And there Making was a, sure that you have a good breakfast. I think there was a hundred of something else, too. Shit, is that all it takes? Yeah. That, apparently. Well, that, yeah. yeah, that's why uh, uh, his his sidekick buddy is, is just completely baffled by it. He's just like, that's not even that hard to do. How <laughs> <laughs> it isn't, no. And that's then all. I'm sitting here looking at him like, a hundred sit-ups. Jesus, how long would it take me to do a hundred sit-ups? It'd be the next day before <laughs> I finished my first. Yeah, when 100. do the sit-ups end? At that point, it's just right. constantly doing sit-ups, right? I, and you know what? That might do it. If you just do sit-ups and you don't stop, now, nah, but you'd have to stop because your body has to recover. So that really wouldn't yeah. work. Your body would, it would just at some point in time give up. So do that's, the that's where I'm at right now. Do the sit-ups help with like his apparent like flying power? And the I mean, push-ups are for the punching, or you, you really got to work on your core, yeah, because that's where that's, everything yeah. stems from, apparently. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, core. That's like so. I think yo- it helps with all of this. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's the true secret. We have to punch from the gut. Yes. That's it's it's all just a big metaphor. You punch from the gut to, to the, the gut. gut for the gut. <laughs> Did you guys hear about the 4K restoration of Alien that they're going to be releasing? I'm curious because now that the whole Disney Fox thing is going through. Yes. I wonder how many projects are going to be delayed or sidetracked, namely the ones that are R-rated, just in general, the franchises that are R-rated. So like, I'm, I, I know that this one specifically will come out, but I'm wondering... like. In the future, as they go, is it more likely to have other things happen, or are they just going to sort of shut it down? No, because Disney's owned another studio that's released. Well, DreamWorks. Touchstone. 
touch I think they own Touchstone or something like that that releases R-rated movies. They have a separate thing where they're able to yeah, they have touchstone and buena vista and whatever but like anytime i think of touchstone specifically the logo i think of like et is about sure. to happen um <laughs> like yeah. but that's you know some kid's gonna to do. dock fingers with an alien <laughs> <laughs> and it's, there's gonna be a glow in there for some reason yeah. yeah like dreamworks i mean gladiator was rated r so yeah i think I'm not so worried as much as quality goes. I'm just curious, as you're saying, what projects are in maybe early stages of development that are going to kind of just maybe go away? Um, Because it happened with, so they're changing Venom. So Venom was originally going to be released as a rated R movie. And now they knocked it down to PG-13 is what I've heard. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't going to be good to begin with. Well, with something like Venom, though, the the source material is certainly dark, but I feel like anything that happened in comic books, I mean, it was still within sort of the Spider-Man universe. It was violent, but it wasn't like the R-rated violence of 2018 kind of thing. Sure. Like the standards are very different now. Um, but as far as Alien goes, I also kind of wonder with a 4K restoration, is it just going to make some of that old 1970s sort of special effects look a little bit funky that's what i was gonna bring up i was like how much better could it look but so doing some research for you know some later episodes like the restoration of prince of darkness is fucking top notch but the restoration for labyrinth is shit so can't even imagine it's really super like the grain is super apparent apparent on it which is supposed to be i want clear bulge (laughs) <laughs> when yeah. I'm watching that movie, yeah. I don't want it, I don't want it to look like a Japanese porn. Since like <laughs> the grain is like a, acting as a mosaic. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. You know, it's like your plasma screen TV, like up close. It's like it, it is dithering. It's dithering. <laughs> yeah, but like you sit comfortably. It's a real word. <laughs> yeah, it's not a sexual term. <laughs> so I, I, I'm curious. I don't. It, it seems like Ridley Scott's movies fare pretty well with restorations like at least the early ones so maybe not all movies can be predator (laughs) as far as how good it looks though well the i mean the first predator blu-ray that came out was just garbage and that they had to re-release that whole thing because it just looked bad i still got it on my shelf the, the first one but the new one is much much better so do they I'd have to check that out? Yeah, there was something with the transfer in it, and it, you just sort of you look at it, and the jungle is not very jungly. Like you would think, putting that movie on Blu-ray, that it would look spectacular, but the first print that they made of it was just nowhere near what it should have been. And that's like the third time it's been restored by that point, because yeah. they did a a restoration for DVD, and then. Yeah, they'll probably redo it in 4K, too. What, what is this? Copying a copy on VHS where each time they do it, the quality I, goes yeah, down? Yeah. Copy of a copy. Okay, no, it's yeah. the greatest thing. We, Yeah, we just we copied it again. That's how that works. It gets better as you copy it. Like, we made this copy off of something that wasn't so good, so let's accentuate what's awful in it. Yes. Although there is a certain charm with, like, 80s VHS fuzz. 
Mm-hmm. Like you just don't get that kind of warmth maybe anymore. You know, playing with the tracking on your TV. Yeah. Is that still a thing? I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> most people are like, what are you even talking about? No, that's not a thing. All right. So that's all the little tidbits that I had. So let's get into our main topic, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Uh, I guess I will set the plate with some of the the facts of the movie. So it's considered a neo-noir black comedy crime film. That's a mouthful. That is a Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. So it's directed by Shane Black, which is his film debut. It's uh, partially based on the Brett Halliday novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Uh, it interprets the classic hard-boiled literary genre in a tongue-in-cheek way. Uh, well, shit, we can just go, go from there in reality. So I kind of did... I did a little bit of research in the background, and then you know I've got my notes from when I, we rewatched it. So just to kind of get my my gut reaction, Kyle, I'll hand it off to you because this is your sweet baby. So I love this movie, and when we watched it, it was your first time. No, I've right? seen. Oh, or you've seen it before? I've okay. seen it probably. That's probably like my tenth time I've seen it. Oh, I don't. You popped my cherry back in the day for this yeah, movie. Where did I get that? I don't even remember how i first found out about it because i don't think it got a wide release in the theater it did not but i would have loved if i can see it in the theater i've watched it so many times that i mean that movie is a part of me at this point (laughs) but you know there's something to be said about this movie and i our last episode as we were closing out we had mentioned that we're going to be doing this i said that like i really attribute this movie to being the kickstart to Robert Downey Jr.'s current, like, superstar status. Yes. But it's not his first movie comeback, because if you remember, the first movie he did after getting out of jail was What Dreams May Come, where he played a serial killer. Or In Dreams. It was In Dreams. And I did not see that. Yeah, he played a long hair. Like, he had blue contacts in, I believe. Longer hair, and he played a serial killer. The Robert Downey. He got out of rehab in what, like 2003? Something like that. This movie was 2006. So there isn't that much, you know, room in between. And obviously, really knocked it out of the park. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about it. Absolutely. So you're saying, continue, sir, please. And then it's just like the last, that I have seen at least, the last great thing that Val Kilmer did. Yeah. Val is. So I did some more research like what the fuck happened to Val Kilmer because obviously he did this movie he's done a few other things so it is confirmed at this point that he had throat cancer and initially he had he had reported as he had a healing of throat cancer so he is a Christian scientist I didn't realize so like they don't believe in doctors I believe is one of the things they don't go to the doctor they pray the all of the the stuff away. So he was kind of taking the MCA path. But uh, he ended up actually doing it, like going and getting chemo and all that shit, but he was just denying it. So, And the thing now is, so he was doing a, a recent interview. He doesn't sound like a person anymore. He sounds like a weird, raspy robot. Like I think they replaced his jaw 
is what it looks like. If you see him, like the skin around the bottom of his jaw is like really loose, and like his lip is like always like slightly droopy. Is it sort of like the Roger Ebert? Kind yes, of thing? that was okay. the that was the immediate thing that I saw. He lost a bunch of weight, so he's pretty frail looking now, and uh, and now he's like saying, "Yeah, I had cancer." When but he was they're, denying they're it. They're still putting him in the Top Gun seat. Yes, it's making. confirmed that he's... It's confirmed. He's going to be a man. <laughs> yeah, you probably can't hear the, the chomp on the microphone, but that's really all he he contributed to that movie was the, the tooth chomp. Well, that and then the homoerotic volleyball, volleyball scene. It's classic. Which I would say is the more important part. <laughs> so, yes, the reintroduction... The ascent of Robert Downer Jr., if you will, and the goodbye, farewell, the farewell for now, for now. We'll for see what happens. Yeah. I, you know, like researching, I didn't really know. Like, I know that he was a, like a salty asshole in a lot of movies, Val Kilmer, but like a whole bunch of shit I didn't like. The Christian monitor, he's like two kids, two two grown kids. I didn't know he had kids. It's like I didn't realize that he could not love himself for a moment to procreate well maybe <laughs> he loved himself so much that he had to make clones of himself it's true maybe so children children yeah but you know up to that point it, he wasn't really like he wasn't pegged as the comedic actor at that point by except, his choice right you know with some some variation they're like what top secret and real geniuses. And real genius. But yeah. in general, like that I think contributed to how well he played it on screen, being basically RDJ's straight man mm -hmm. for the movie. Uh, you know, with parts like look up the word idiot in the dictionary, you'll know what you'll find. And yeah, RDJ Picture of me? <laughs> no, the definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are. <laughs> like that it's it's delivered so perfectly from that like i am not a comedy guy they say you can you can fake uh dramatic but you can't fake funny that's true i mean i they must have had a really good chemistry as well i, I think. feel like that's a common theme though and anyone that does movies with rdj it's like they have a mini romance during filming because everyone usually has like glowing like things to say about Robbie Downer, Robert Downey Jr. during filming of things. And then, like, because it seemed like if all the promotional materials and the interviews, that they, they were, like, flirting with each other. And they're talking about how great chemistry was, and they couldn't believe it took that long for them to work together. We haven't really heard anything about them, like, being bros no. after that, right? And it's the same thing with Sherlock Holmes. It was the studio, apparently, when they were filming that, actually told... Jude Law and them to tone down the homoeroticism. <laughs> I feel like Robert Downey Jr. has done that with all of the Avengers as well. You look up any of the the candid pictures of you know them at red carpet premieres, and RDJ is usually given smooches to pretty much everybody, and it's it's mostly the guys he develops bromances pretty intensely. I mean, whatever it is. It works on screen. He's mm -hmm. a very popular person. Yeah. Yes. Whether you're working with him, you're an actor, or you're us, and we're just observing the body of work, the body of work <laughs> that they do. <laughs> but going back to the actual movie here, yeah. uh, 
there's just something about it the like rapid fire comedy the the tone and the mood that it makes i don't know what it is about it but it's just like something that's really stuck with me and i don't know if that quite has the same feeling in the nice guys which is kind of like the sequel to it or the prequel Mm -hmm. i would say it's like the sister movie spiritual successor yeah but i think that what was missing from the nice guys that kiss kiss bang bang had was in kiss kiss bang bang things moved really fast and so sometimes you would just completely trip over a throwaway line and go back to laughing at it about four seconds after it happened. Yeah. And in the nice guys, they really did set it up more uh, towards like your your typical Hollywood audience, which is going to be we need to have a scene that's we know is going to be funny, and then this scene is specifically like detectives gathering information, not going to be all that funny. Um, when he's at the party in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and. He's asked what he does, and he says, I'm retired. I invented dice. Like, <laughs> it takes you a long time to really, like, compress what he was saying and be like, what? But he's, like, they've gone on since then. Yeah, it's definitely. Um, it's it's certainly a movie that warrants multiple viewings yeah. to get everything in it because everything comes so fast, and there's so many small things that you could miss. So he... Shane Black has a very distinct style, obviously. You, you know, whether it's a screenplay that he's has written or if it's one of his movies that he's directing and, and wrote for. And I was watching this uh, presentation. So he was speaking in front of a film school and they were talking, you know, asking him questions about filmmaking and about like his writing process. And he goes on to say, you know, the thing for him is real life language or naturalistic language is boring as fuck on screen. So he, he was kind of scoffing at the idea of like naturalistic acting or naturalistic uh, like movies because a regular conversation, hey, do you want to go eat? Uh, maybe I'm hungry. What's, well, hey, well, you want to walk down to the place yet? Like it takes four pages of dialogue to get from like point A to point B where stylized what he's known for it's very exaggerated and so it's oh all the the dialogue is to the point punched up to get to the point and get something across in a shorter span of time so one of his influences is james l brooks uh uh a writer i haven't read any of his stuff but apparently that's what that's one of the influences that he uh you know had impacts him so he's you know as i said like all of his at least the two movies, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Nice Guys are. Is that the guy who did the Johnny Gossamer books? <laughs> <laughs> no, but interestingly enough, uh, it was he. It was Raymond Chandler is what those were uh, based off of. And they got the same artist who did the covers that's for that. That's awesome. To do the covers in the movie. So like those, that's the finite details that he goes into to reference and to like cherish the things that he loves, and like all of the, um, the chapters. You know how the movie's broken up into chapters. Mm-hmm. They're actually named after different books, after Chandler's books. So unless you know, yeah. you had no idea. No. Like that's the level of detail he goes into a lot of these things, and obviously film noir, 
and crime novels is really one of his his big influences. At least Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys. It seems like almost like people are like, hey, you need to make another movie like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the Nice Guys was kind of like the the I don't know. It was a good movie. I like it. I own it. Mm-hmm. But it just wasn't the same. And I don't know if it's the dynamic was maybe a little off or the dialogue wasn't as punchy. Maybe because it was a bigger production, there was a little more control on it than there was for Kiss that, Kiss Bang Bang, that possibly. Could very, that could very well be. I feel like, but that movie wasn't a huge budgeted movie. It's not like The Predator, right? That's, yeah, I'm sure yeah. that's got a lot more control in it than. Or Iron Man 3, which, you know, pretty much universally panned and like nobody makes reference to. But that movie had the structure of a... Sh- it, what I mean, he directed it. It's a very much a Shane Black movie. Well, here's the insane thing. So, Panned, people don't talk about it much, but whenever they talk about Shane Black for anything, they're like, from the you know person who did Iron Man 3, when there's all these other things that they could pick. Way better stuff. Like anytime Sam Raimi does anything nowadays, uh, when uh, Drag Me to Hell was coming out, it was from the acclaimed director of Spider-Man. And I'm like, I don't know if I want a comic book guy making... A horror movie but if you had said evil from the dead. director of evil dead like that would make a lot more sense now would you include army of darkness in that well considering <laughs> drag me to hell's like some of the schlock kind of stuff that happened in that movie like absolutely could have uh, and what about dark man would you include the maker of dark man in that bruce campbell did have a cameo in that he at did the very end but that's have neither you, here nor there have you seen dark man oh yeah absolutely. okay good <laughs> did you see all the sequels? Yes. No. I hope not. I, did. I didn't. <laughs> I did. I think like I played the game correctly and you <laughs> lost. <laughs> I was like, I was a sucker and it was like, give me more. That's like watching all the Critters movies. I watched all the sequels. Hey, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's acting debut. That's right. Critters 3? Critters, Critters 3. 3. So I put on, I don't know if it was... It must have been Twitter or and or Instagram. I did find a picture of a young Leo next to a critter and blasted yes. that out. All right. So uh, a little a bit about Shane Black. So he was born in 1961 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which makes sense. He's got an East Coast accent. I couldn't quite place because it's like sort of New Yorkish, sort of. I couldn't really put my finger on it. So he wrote Lethal Weapon. One and two, the Monster Squad, the Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, so he's talking about how the struggle of being a writer—you know—you write things, and a lot of times, what you write is not what ends up on film. And so he—he he was actually brought into that movie to rewrite the script, and then John McTiernan took his script that he was hired to rewrite and just shot whatever he wanted, anyways. So. But John McTiernan did Predator, so where he cast Shane Black as our jokester on on the team. That's right. And apparently, Ghost wrote for it. <laughs> so I was reading more about that. He doesn't. He's Shane Black says that his contributions are very minimal to that movie, which I don't know that I believe because there's a definite tonal difference as far as dialogue between Predator 1 and Predator 2, which were written by the same brothers. So there's some difference there. And I think I feel that the secret sauce 
is Shane Black. That's just my personal feeling. He did The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is an... I love that movie. But I didn't realize that it was a total box office flop when it came out. And he he just... He almost swore off movie writing at that point. Yep. Because it just did so poorly. And at, at that point, it's like, well, you've done Lethal Weapon movies. You've done Last Kiss Goodnight. Like, you, you're Last Action Hero. You're writing for action movies. You know, maybe you do want to do some other things. I think that's what happened with this movie. Yeah, so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was his last ditch effort to make a movie. So he, they were writing the script, doing the production, doing scouting locations. It didn't have financing or anything lined up. And he went back and groveled to Joel Silver to make a movie. And they let him make it surprisingly and they just had a couple of actors who happened to be kind of on the down and outs that agreed to do it uh iron man 3 obviously uh the edge the nice guys obviously the predator and then he's got two other movies he's doing doc savage and the destroyer which i don't know what that's about but it's good title i hope it's like conan yeah the destroyer see at some point in time it was rumored or talking about Arnold was going to star as Conan again, as the old man Conan. I remember hearing that. Yeah. And then it just kind of disappeared. into the, It just never went anywhere. We need to find out what happens when he's sitting in the throne at the end, contemplating. With a crown on his furrowed brow or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Obviously, it's weighed heavily upon his conscience. Yes. Falcons at his wrist. <laughs> uh, but also, I mean, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang also had... Uh, Michelle Monaghan, mm-hmm. who was really terrific in her role. And nowadays, whenever I see her in anything, like Mission Impossible, yeah, like every time I see her, I just think of like, I, I Whitey can't. the White Knight? Yeah. <laughs> no biggie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I honestly I kind of forgot about Michelle Monaghan until we rewatched that. I'm like, oh yeah, she exists. She's a person. Because what is she... I guess I didn't... I I'm not a big fan of the Mission Impossible movies, so I didn't even realize that she was in them. She played Tom Cruise's love interest, eventual wife, and then estranged wife oh. uh, through the series. Um, and I'm not sure if that was like... She wasn't testing well with people, or they figured, well, I guess we always have a way to put... Ethan Hunt in crisis because we can threaten his wife, and that's basically what they've been doing for Maybe a while. Tom Cruise has a problem <laughs> with her. Oh, uh, True Detective, also. Oh First yes, yes. Why the hell did I not forget? And she was so good in that too. And and you know Woody Harrelson's character sort of stuck between either Michelle Monaghan or Alexandra Daddario, like. He he had it pretty much made. Yeah, like those, yeah, that's those a, that's a tough life. But he couldn't win the deep voice competition that that no. show turned out to be. <laughs> so he's still, even though he had babes all lined up, he couldn't get the one. Who would you have rather best. have been in that series, Makanasas or Woody? I wouldn't want to be either of them. If you terrible. had to cho- if you had to choose, though. I mean, they they both get some pretty grievous injuries. And I don't, yeah, nothing really goes too well. <laughs> no, 
But Woody definitely has the better life up to that point because Matthew's going deep undercover, getting shot, taking a copious amount of drugs. And just generally being weird. Yeah. <laughs> My uh, fiance does captioning work um, for live TV, sports and such. And so she'll do like entire West Coast baseball games and things. And there's a Carl's Jr. sort of ad campaign now where Matthew McConaughey is the voice. So they have him like singing songs about the Western bacon cheeseburger and everything. What? She will come home and have this like in her head and will be singing this. And all I can think of is true detective version of Matthew McConaughey <laughs> getting his Western bacon cheese. It's <laughs> an amazing thing. It's definitely worth looking up. Okay. I had no idea. And He's I really whoring himself out lately. Well, you do the Lincoln, was it? Yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln commercials? Wild Turkey, Carl's Jr. Do you think that he is like in desperate need of money? Or I, is it... He can't be. No. Everyone loves him. He's got... He, I mean, he's got... And does he have an Emmy, Emmy for True Detective? I'm not sure, but he is still an in-demand actor. Interstellar. Like, all of those things. Put him in anything and people will gravitate towards it. He's still box office gold. Right. I guess he's just doing a Nicolas Cage. Just in other areas, he's just getting that money where he can. So maybe he's saving up to buy an island. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe. Maybe. I. You know, I feel like in this movie, like, we see Robert Downey Jr., do a kind of performance and then does it for every other movie from then on. At this point, he, I don't think he's acting. He's just being him. Right. And because movies up to that point, like, yeah, he's always been kind of a, like a frantic actor, uh, like hyperkinetic, but I really feel like the charm, not in less than zero, <laughs> not in less than zero. No. Uh, but uh, I feel like, that the particular combination of the performance is what we've seen time and time again, whether it's Tony Stark or whatever other character he's doing. And it's always funny to me because I was watching this interview and he's talking about like challenges of acting and, you know, what keeps driving him. And he's always trying to try to do something new, to take on new roles that people wouldn't expect. But it's like, it's just Robert Downey Jr. being like kind of like frantically charming in every role that he does. Be a alcoholic playboy billionaire. <laughs> it's not really a stretch for him to play Tony Stark. No, but it is a nice paycheck. Don't forget philanthropist. <laughs> oh, yes. Playboy. I forgot that. Playboy philanthropist. Yes. Although his role in Tropic Thunder is one of... Absolutely amazing. Amazing genius. And maybe it's my small mind that I can't comprehend, like... Does he play two separate characters, and that's the cheat? Like, this time I'm playing the Australian method actor, this I'm playing a black guy? Or does he actually go so deep in that he's always playing the Australian guy, thinking about how he would play the the black guy? That's one of the things they talk about, uh, why Mel Blanc was such a an amazing voice actor, was he could um, be in character pretending to be another character 
just through his voice. So um, he could pretend to be Bugs Bunny imitating Porky Pig. Uh, and I think that Robert Downey Jr. had that opportunity in Tropic Thunder to pretend to be an actor playing an actor. Anytime I see that, it just boggles my mind. So going off the, the Mel Blank thing, a customer was in my store the other day and stopped me for help. I heard him talk. He sounded just like him, like doing one of his voices. And when he left, I was like, oh, my God, was that guy's real voice or was he doing that on purpose? It was so out of this world. It was like it would be comedic if I wasn't so blown away by how weird it was. Like, how could a person sound like that? I have no idea. How do you address a person like that? Do you just walk up and just, what's up, Doc? <laughs> do you go, what the fuck are you doing? Are you seriously talking to me like are that right now? Are you a real person? Uh, I, I suppose we didn't really kind of break down even what the movie's about for people that don't know. If you don't know, it's you're you're living under a rock. Well, I mean, you hit, you, with that long-winded description of it at the beginning, you really hit it. Well, Neo-noir, dark comedy right but you know basically the plot because we didn't talk about val kilmer yet so uh val kilmer plays gay perry but he plays the straight man and he plays the straight man to robert downey jr Mm -hmm. and so shane black and i don't know if like this is like a cheap like at the time it seemed like a revolutionary idea that a gay person could be macho and just be the straight man but like he was talking about it like it was this revolutionary idea that a, a, a gay person could be a re- just a regular person. Uh, it's very effective in that role, and like I think Val Kilmer's performance is really kind of subtle. Like yes, he is a straight man, but you get he gives a little bit of a, a little bit of a way to like indicate or inform his character because I think he's like has a little bit of a lisp. Or something inflection in his voice that gives it away that he's not quite. Well, he sounds permanently aggravated, uh, you know, and it, right? And yeah. it's and it's. I think there was sort of a, a stereotype of the like Hollywood gay man who was just angry. Another Parks and Rec thing, like Craig in the later oh, seasons. Oh yeah, comes in. that was that's almost the level at which Val Kilmer was in this movie. That's true. Like one or two notches down, right? But in general, like you have RDJ sort of, he is our ability to enter the film because he's just sort of bungling, doesn't really know what's going on. He wants to help out with this mystery of childhood friend's sister who's died. And at the same time, he's in Hollywood sort of being cast for a movie, he thinks. Um, And Val Kilmer is helping him to learn how to be a detective like he would be in the movie. And it gets really convoluted, but I think that what the writers did a very good job of was most noir movies have sort of that twist of, like, it was actually him who did it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do talk about that, like, this isn't really the Hollywood ending, even though there's the amazing shootout. um, It still turns (laughs) a bunch of tropes on their head, like uh, the book that he has in his pocket that gets a bullet hole through it. Um, supposed to, you know, you get shot and the book saves you, but it goes right through the book and he gets shot. Like that, that's, <laughs> it's very, very funny and very smart. Yeah, I do appreciate it 
for the fact that, as you say, it turns it turns ahead on tropes and, it, and from an, a genre that really wasn't. Maybe Tarantino was doing was sort of like, but he was like more grindhousey sort of flair. So it was his are a lot more like big cast features. Yeah, like you think of Reservoir Dogs, there are a lot of people involved. Yeah, and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is pretty much really like these two guys going out to help this girl who is looking for help and that's the the old noir film thing mm-hmm. you got sam spade and, and like some beautiful lady comes in and asks for his help and then maybe she was in on the crime the whole time right and i think that's what makes the movie refreshing especially even now i think noir films are or noir genres has a little bit of a resurgence but not in the same way that shane black does them and, and when that movie came out shit Oh five, I believe, is when it came out. Six. Oh five, oh six, something like that. What? Yeah. One of them was probably the the Cannes Film Festival, and one of them was whenever it was released in however like three theaters in the three. country. What was going on in popular culture at that time? Like it was really distinct, and it, it took something that is familiar. Like if you, like us, we grew up watching movies and on TV and Nick at Night and all these sort of things. So you were, you know. Like, I'm certainly familiar with film noir and old crime movies and black and white, James Cagney, all that kind of shit. So to see this and flip it on its ear and being really like, like a crime movie on that has ADHD, like it's just really like hyper and bouncing. And just, as you said, like it moves from scene to scene, from sentence to sentence really quick where you have to rewatch it to catch all of the things that they're saying. But also fourth wall kind of stuff. And I, I know that there's there's always going to be, you know, fourth wall sort of things going back many, many movies before. But I don't think any of them have done it quite like this. Like their Deadpool nowadays is like the poster boy for breaking fourth wall and being like, hey, wink to the audience. But in this movie, they sort of made it part of the, the character, you know, the whole credit sequence um, when RDJ is talking and then Val Kilmer comes in and. Yeah. yeah, I that mean, part yes, is the audience so funny. is directly addressed. Mm-hmm. For all you in the Midwest, sorry, we said the word "fuck" so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's brilliant, and uh, they just they deliver it in character. But you're kind of left with that, like, was that Val Kilmer or Gay Perry, right? Kind of thing. And the fourth wall breaking in that movie isn't so much like Deadpool is like over the top, right? Redi- like acknowledging itself. Where this is like, I almost got the vibe that it was like, they were telling their story as a movie, and we were watching that movie unfold, if you will, whereas Deadpool's a different thing upon itself. What other nuggets about that movie, Kyle? It's infinitely quotable. There is so much stuff in this movie that's like, to this day, I mean, I'm constantly saying stuff from it. But yet nobody knows what I'm talking about <laughs> when I'm doing it because not enough people have seen the movie. Or seen it recently. I think I've seen it recently. I think a lot of people eventually got around to seeing that movie like a year or two later after it was released. Because I, it was, that's how I saw it. And really? I think that's the same thing for me. Like I had a buddy who was like, You need to see this movie and like the last movie I saw at RGJ in was in Dreams, and I'm like, Fuck it, RGJ why? But then it was amazing. So yeah, when I saw that, I was like, RDJ, oh yeah. 
now I'm even more interested than I was when I was told about it, and I didn't know that he. I was more him. interested in Val Kilmer because I have such a love for real geniuses that I heard he was doing a comedic film, and I was like, "I'm going to watch this movie." Yes, return to form, return to the original Val Kilmer, and then it was his goodbye. Sort of, sort of. I mean, he was in a bunch. As of I them. take it, yeah. Well, yeah, the last really good movie he was in. I mean, I do like his turn in MacGruber as Kunth. I mean, what was big before he did that? I all I think of is Heat, Top Gun, obviously. The Doors. When he, yeah, when he was Jim Morrison, right? Batman. Batman. That's, forever. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't even as bad as Batman and Robin, the the one with. Clooney and Schwarzenegger. And well, I'm thinking of good movies of here, okay. so he was a good movie, so fuck y'all. Well, in general, you know, like at the time, it felt like if you were going to be starring in a superhero movie up till, I think, where Blade. Uh, yeah, right? Um, X-Men really turned around superhero movies. Everything before that was like, alright, they're just going to get some name to shove in there just so they can sell the movie because they aren't going to sell it on Batman alone. I'm curious if they're going to be able to break the code the way they did with comic movies to video game movies. We were having this discussion earlier. It's like, what is the secret sauce to making a good video game movie? And I've read articles about this, you know, and I talked a little bit about, like, one of the big arguments, the reason why you should never do it is because video games are an interactive experience where movies are a passive experience. So you're playing a game you're participating in the events unfolding and it's different for you and for you and for me playing the same game a little bit because you could make slightly different choices unless we're talking about metal gear solid i was just going to say that i was <laughs> Where just gonna fucking say that too i think metal gear solid 4 has the record for longest consecutive like cut scenes i think it it tax up to more than the length of a feature film. Yeah, it was like a hundred and some minutes, yeah. right? Holy Christ. But if you go down the rabbit hole, David Hayter, as in the voice of Solid Snake, did write the first X-Men movie. So I did not know that he was a writer. Yeah, he well, apparently he was big into like comic book stuff. He does a cameo in that movie as like one of the bodyguards at the museum towards the very end. Hmm. Um but He's, I think he's written for a few things, but maybe that's the, he's the secret sauce. That's what we need. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) G-Bell. Or we could just make another House of the Dead movie. I don't know. Typing of the Dead movie? Typing of the Dead the movie. That'd be fucking awesome. Everyone has Dreamcasts on their back and they type on a keyboard. (laughs) I don't know. It just has to be approached right. And, you know, as we were talking about this earlier, I said I thought Mortal Kombat was a good movie. I think everyone feels that Mortal think Kombat. you have to say I thought at the beginning of that sentence. I know that or, Mortal yeah. Kombat is a good movie and a good video game movie at that. I, I think the Mortal Kombat movie is better than the Mortal Kombat game. Fight me. <laughs> Mortal Kombat 1 or Mortal Kombat 2? 1, specifically. Well, that's not... A, that's not yes, a, I agree. Yeah. Mortal and, you Kombat... Know, people have drawn parallels from Mortal Kombat, the movie, to, like, Enter the Dragon. 
and the fact that somebody would even make that kind of connection <laughs> legitimate Le- cinema at that point then that, right that's <laughs> that's crazy but why looking like i see that movie at least once a year it's a fucking schlock fest. Like, no. No. Yes. No. The whole part at the... Like, there are plenty of points where you're just like, why did this need to happen? Like, the whole... At the very end, Liu Kang, I am the chosen one. There is no chosen anything mentioned anywhere in that movie up to that point. Like, He was just feeling from? really full of himself I at that know, point. If you like, were, like, kicking ass and about to save your world... If you killed Goro... Would you say it? Those were $500. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, we maybe we needed more lines like, you know, there, those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. Or this is the part where you fall down. I will say, though, that... While I know this is a good, <laughs> well, I know this is a good movie. The CG in it is just fucking awful. Well, that's like CG reptile is so bad. Up to any point of time, looks terrible. Yeah. Well, have you seen Jurassic Park? Yeah. I was just gonna like, say, like even now, Jurassic holy shit! Like that CG is not looking so good these days. No, but I think you know the more that they stick practical effects and some of those things and then try to do a little bit of morphing between the two uh helps your suspension of disbelief but there are times in the modern day where they just they i think that people get lazy i anybody who i talked to about black panther absolutely loved the movie and i had major beef with its green screen like i don't know why in 2017 18 green screen would look that bad the whole like fight on the cliff with the water and you're looking up at all the people who are chanting as the battle's happening just looks terrible yeah but do you think that's just a a weakness of the filmmaker or do you think it's they they have the best that visual effects studios have to offer i mean disney's got ilm sitting around they've got pretty much connections all over the world for the best studios so like there, I don't think that there was really an excuse for it at that point. Yeah, they see. I mean, that's a very well-oiled machine to where yes, you have your director, but like Taika, I love Thor, but yes. there's no way that he has all of the technical expertise to pull off that movie. Like he was very well supported yeah. to pull that off. So as you're saying, there really isn't a justification for why it looked like. I guess what really pissed me off was. Just, like, how badly when they, like, turn into animalistic fighting where they're, like, jumping and hopping around, like, how bad CG that was. Kind of like Blade 2. Blade 2. That's yes. always what I... The first thing I think of when I think of human CG was that fight in front of the lights in yeah. their hideout. The jumping around. Oh, my God. And that was... There was more practical effects than not in that movie, mm-hmm. except that fight scene. Which was just, I don't, why did we need to go that aerial and over the top? I feel like Blade 2 was a more anime movie than the original Blade. Oh, for sure. And so when they were going for that kind of aesthetic, I think that they wanted to have people jumping incredibly high in the air when, you know, in the first one they mask it, like in in the, the tower at the very end when he's like... He's going fast, but they, you know, it's quick cuts rather right. than actually trying to show anything. Right. Because the CG in the first Blade movie is god awful. 
the end where he like blows up. Yes. Like, yeah. The alternate ending is on. Oh, on the, it's oh that's something special right there. <laughs> yeah. Rap. But still, though, I think like the vampires disintegrating. That was still done well. Yeah. And the foley work on like the sound effects as they disintegrate was really really good too. That's just a solid movie. It's my favorite comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all definitely. Day. I'm still the regret that I have of when we went to Convergence is that we missed the Blade 20th yeah. anniversary celebration. That, w- that would have been. I would have liked to have gone to that, but wasn't it during Vilification Tennis? I think it was during that. So we, it's we were missing that. Yeah. yeah, you just gotta. You have to do what you gotta do. But I'm sad. I that would be. I should have took the survey and wrote that in there. How dare you schedule Blade t- anniversary uh, introspective or retrospective and vilification tennis at the same time? Well, that's the problem. The really good panels that would have the maybe racier discussions are scheduled at the same time at night as all the other events. So it makes it hard. you got to pick and choose your night, battles. Yeah. But back to the visual effects thing, like... I, I know that we we can look at it from afar and be like, man, that looks bad. But, you know, the the best visual effects are always going to be the ones that you didn't notice, that you didn't quite pick up. Yeah. Um, and the, I feel like pretty much any movie, even ones where you wouldn't expect special effects, you know, visual effects created computer graphics, like there there's a lot out there that we are not really talking about because they look good. You didn't really notice them when they happened. Say the bear in the Gennaro's commercial in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. (laughs) What do I know? I'm just a bear. I suck the heads off fish. Uh, See how he brought us back on topic? Well played. Really good. Good for you. But I did notice that that bear was... But they did it as a joke. It's a joke and it does look awful. And I think that's like it's purposely supposed to be bad. So... What we don't know is that there was some digital artist who, like, cried themselves to sleep when they heard that people were making fun of his bear in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing to make fun of. It's great. We love the Gennaro's commercial. Love it. Yeah, it's really, again, it's it's a charming movie. It has one of those things where it's the right time, the right moment. The right, the actors coming in, the chemistry between the cast... It certainly, I think, gave Michelle Monaghan a platform to go on to do other things. Like, I think that if she wasn't in that movie, because she wouldn't have gone on to do the other things that she had. Because, I mean... I don't, I don't recall anything that she had done before. Exactly. She's great in it. I thought, again, playing to tropes, stereotypes, like she did a good job of playing against type. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was really good maybe it was again the strength of the material maybe that pulled her through it's one of those cases is like is it the talent of the cast or is it the strength of the material that it comes from and all think that this is the directorial debut of shane black this is his first movie and it's one of those things that you can dissect and quote infinitely well i think for michelle monan specifically like on the outset, she is very much a two-dimensional character because yep. she is the childhood friend who became estranged and then has come back into his life to ask him for help. And it's like that—that that is just straight up, like 
ripped off from who knows how many movies. It's something, right? yeah, right out of a movie. Right out of a movie. <laughs> Weird. But she played it really well, and then, the, you know, how she gets involved with everything and, and basically, you know, tells him at a few points, like, this is ridiculous, or she wants to dive in further. You know, she she has some... Yeah, she's a better detective character. at the end of it than the other two because they're busy it's like you just bring him in and push him out <laughs> and push him out <laughs> you know you'll bring him in and push him out and what i love about rdj's character is that he's playing he's the crook the thief but he's the most morally like straight character of the of everyone else in the movie yeah. and he's the the crook to look down upon and you know you were saying earlier about shane black being from the east coast and in the movie there's a line that already jay says you know it's like someone took america by the east coast and shook it and all the normal girls stayed there or all the not normal the crazy <laughs> ones ended up on the west coast so like is that him and his thinking or is that what he just made for the movie he apparently from what I've gathered, is like a lot of his ideas and things. He like he reinterprets from like James L. Brooks, or he picks up his his conversation beats and ideas for them. Because like he has amazing insults. I think someone was like, "Where do you get your insults from? Like, how do you think of them?" And that's what he's you know basically saying is that he you know it's from those crime books that he reinterprets some of these things from and you get I mean I can't think of it off the top of my head but it's something well, the, the idiot one yeah, the <laughs> idiot. That, like that's top notch in that movie I think it's top notch in any any because you just don't expect it right and that's like one of the great things about that the movie is that you think it's going to go one way or you expect it to unfold in a particular way and it goes in a different direction but in a, in a pleasant way, not like a an M Night Shyamalan kind of way, but like in an actually that's like enjoyable sort of way. Who taught you math? <laughs> <laughs> Go I, see the movie if you haven't seen it. I know your feeling. I don't know your feeling. What do you think about Glass coming out? Oh, upcoming. Yeah. I did not see Split. Neither have I. But you saw Unbreakable. I saw Unbreakable. And people I've heard talk about Unbreakable as a masterpiece um, these days. And I remember specifically my feeling when the movie came out after The Sixth Sense. I was like, we should be on the lookout more for what this dude is doing. And when I saw Unbreakable, I was like, I don't know if I need to be like, maybe this wasn't just the best i rolled my eyes so hard at the end of that movie you could hear it okay <laughs> it, your eyes removed themselves from their head not that it was a I, steep drop off um when when i was watching it because the whole time it has a very tense feeling and you're kind of questioning like how much of this is going to be real or is it going to become supernatural pretty fast who knows um so it's it still had a lot of merits but i don't know if it was I would like just the say masterpiece that a lot of people have said. I think a lot of people love it more in hindsight than they do in. Re I remember being like, "That was a good movie." Like, I don't, 
it's not one of those things I had to rush out and watch again or buy. I don't have a desire to necessarily watch it even now. Well, everybody was talking about how it's just this amazing comic book movie that you don't realize is a comic book movie. And I'm thinking, you know, like, what's the actual motivation? You know, and I wonder that about bad guys. Like, what is the actual motivation? And if it's just to find the unbreakable man, if you're the breakable man, like, you found him. Like, where does this movie end? Like, what do you do the next? Do you wake up and have a cinnamon roll the next day? You say, I'm Mr. Glass, and you're done. Right. Yeah, that's like... It seems like such a letdown. Like, why? What do you do when you find your opposite? Like, what it? Do you like fuck them? <laughs> is that what it is? Pursuit of love? So that I'm, you know, I'm just curious about how they're involving Split because you know I enjoy James McAvoy. Like, even from the days of Wanted, which is a movie Oof. nobody talks about. Uh, I rewatched that movie recently. Oh man! Oh fuck! It is a movie of its time, and it's it's you know one of the very early Chris Pratt uh, appearances. I and did it's, not. I was so surprised. I'm like, yep. He gets slapped guy. in the face with a keyboard. Yep. Uh, and the letters on the keyboard fly off to spell "fuck you" with yeah. one of his teeth. Yeah. Uh, being a U because there aren't two U's on a keyboard. They had to be a little bit. Creative and creative there. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did put two U keys in there, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, it was I'm impressed at right. this point. But like James McAvoy, like he's he is good, but just the, the previews for Split didn't look like it was all that special. And and when uh, the uh, glass preview came up, I was like, okay, I should probably just go on Wikipedia and read about what split was about and i'm reading through and i'm reading through and i'm like okay so we've got this thing and i'm like well how many movies about dissociative identity disorder are they going to try to do uh when you know really what they're trying to do is make a jekyll and hyde movie yeah it's you've got one person who you know has split but then you know i think back to uh what was it identity with john cusack where it's all of the strangers that are in the hotel together. And as it turns out, they're all just the different personalities in the mind of this guy who's on trial for, you know, murder and he's getting on death row. But it was really this one personality that was the killer. Killer seven. Right. Killer seven. Uh, You've also got. um, What else was it? I just had in my brain session nine, one of my favorites. Um, had that mm-hmm. but it wasn't one of the main characters it was sort of this background kind of thing um, but with Split I was like how, you know do they I don't know how, how are you going to deal with like the beast and have it actually like physically affect him unless you straight out admit like this is supernatural and superhuman and it doesn't actually take place in reality uh, the thing about Unbreakable was the whole time, it, it absolutely could be something that did happen. Just a guy who happened to be lucky that many times in a row, happened to not get sick, that kind of thing. And on the other hand, you have Sammy J, who is very fragile. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's pl- Unbreakable is plausible. Split, and I haven't seen it. I think it 
did it go into the supernatural they, so realm? I don't. From my understanding, and I, I could totally get hate on if I start spouting off about a movie I haven't seen. Um, but he's got multiple personalities, and they all end up affecting his physiology. So one of so these personalities try in his brain to lock up the beast, as they refer to it. And if the beast gets out, that's bad for everybody because it will make him super buff and strong. If you've seen some of those promotional pictures of the dude, he is yeah, he's all like jacked, jacked up, and that's that's what it becomes. I don't know if it's but there's like a scene where he's like climbing up a wall and climbing on a ceiling, as people do, as people do. I think if you're possessed, I think M Night Shyamalan's new twist is that the end of the movie he references things that you are okay with. Like, you're okay with Unbreakable. You like Unbreakable. And that's the twist ending. Hey, it's a sequel. It's a faux sequel. Instead of being like they're they're actually dead or they're, you know, in a settlement out in the middle of nowhere and it's modern times. Like, why? At no point did somebody say to him during the creation of Signs that <laughs> it's completely illogical for aliens to settle on a planet which is largely made of water both liquid and vapor where their weakness is water like you can see it from afar that it's probably not the best send a probe out and you probably notice it i think he was probably stretching for i think at that point like in his career they were just still giving him enough like sure go ahead and make that movie that's fine we don't need the details and they just let him make it and you're like what the actual fuck he did make one good decision in one of his movies, and that was to cast Bryce Dallas Howard in, <laughs> yeah. in the Village because she's hot. Oh my God! Yeah, there's she's very sexy in that movie, and I feel awkward about being so attracted to her in that movie because she's blind and like helpless, and it's a weird. What's wrong with that? I guess we know what you're into. That's, <laughs> that's okay. That's. But I mean, I'm sure there's a website for that. What was in between those two? Lady in the Water. And that was another that was movie after. That, I don't remember. I think it was after. Yeah, Lady in the Water was after because okay. that was when he was. Getting... It doesn't even matter, really. No. And it, it was another one of those movies of his, very similar to Signs, where all of this is about like predestination and everything happens for a reason, and like this dude works out one arm of his body so that he can punch something really good. Like, why is that? The narrative he literally, the, you know what the genesis of that movie is? He's with his kids, and instead of having a bedtime story, he would have them make up a story together. And so his kids and him are basically riffing, and they were taught all these ridiculous things that are in that movie are partially inspired by him and his kids just making shit up. Is that sort of like when you're trying to describe a dream t- that you had to somebody? And then the more you talk about it, like, you're like, wait, but this thing didn't happen. Oh, I lost my train of thought. And then yeah, it's just I, a I bad think that's idea. exactly what happened. And that I watched three quarters of that movie and had to give up. I couldn't do it. Well, if you watch the first three quarters and just skip the ending, you should be fine for any of his movies. Because <laughs> like The Happening. Or I didn't from... watch that movie. I, I didn't bother. Okay. And people yeah. killing themselves should have been right up my alley, but I just wasn't. I couldn't do it. And Avatar, 
The Didn't watch that either. Oh my god. I, I haven't I don't know why I saw that movie. Why I, did you see that movie unless you were accompanied by a child? I maybe I wanted to see like a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> because it wouldn't be anything but that. And it was. Make, I mean of of all western made anime based movies like that has to be the bottom of the pile. Probably. <sighs> I have not seen it. I will not see it. No, don't. Unless I really am feeling masochistic and I maybe am really drunk, maybe I'll watch it. You'll never get that's that time of your life for, back. Yeah, that's reserved for movies that have some redeeming qualities or something that you can laugh at, but it's just, it's no bueno. Gotcha. I'm glad that we went from Shane Black to M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have absolutely nothing in common. No, they're entirely different caliber worlds apart from each other uh, you know i think you know like how he is still getting work is beyond me i don't really know again i've not seen split it is generally reviewed positively but i feel like it's only reviewed positively because it has a tie into unbreakable which people like because i think i think nostalgia really or is it reviewed positively because perhaps it might be better than his other movies and that's what they're gauging it against? <laughs> well, Maybe. it's better than an Uwe Bull movie. But, uh, you know, he. I remember when After Earth came out, the Will Smith, Jaden Smith movie, and there was a lot of preview material coming out. Not a single one of them mentioned that he was the director. That, like, this yeah, was that was one of really well downplayed, yeah. And... Once people found out about it, they're like, oh, that's why this movie looks so bad. And so I, I'm pretty sure that there was a time when his entire PR team was like, if you make another movie, we aren't going to attach your name to it. We're going to see how it does and then see if it's a placebo effect at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see that movie and it was garbage. And he just makes... But there's those people that are like, your name, I recognize your name. You did a movie, I like that movie. Yeah, I'll, I'll green light. And then somehow Will Smith gets involved and he does, he takes his shit on it. And you get, and it's like, yeah, we'll have my kid who's not an actor, who's never done anything before. That's perfect. The second lead in that movie should be my, my son. And you have that movie. Didn't see it, yes. You're lucky. At least there's a wide variety of, of crap that has come out of this guy. It's, you know, from, from sci-fi to non, it's all just He just takes his fucking, his, like, stride at anything. Just like, yeah, I've done that before. Let's see how that works. The next thing will be a Western from M. Night Shyamalan. I could see it. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Guarantee. The twist at the end is it's in the future. <laughs> but that was, that was it's the It's post-apocalyptic. Wasn't it? It was, in, it was the in the past, but it... Okay, future, present. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, or it's on a different planet entirely. Or that this is all truly before Earth entirely. Battlestar Galactica. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, back to Shane Black. So, again, there, you know, he's entirely different. I think his style of filmmaking is much more dialogue driven 
he does have a style. Like, there's definitely, like, a visual flair, I think, to his movies. And I'm very curious about how The Predator is going to turn out. I Seeing the previews, everything points to, like, Hollywood has too many fingers in the, in the pie. It's definitely fingering it As far it as hard. the marketing goes. Yes. But there are nuggets within the trailers where I'm looking at it. I'm going, this looks like they took something that was quality and watered it down so that they could bring in like people not like us to go see it. I really feel that there are more people like us than not and would definitely but maybe Hollywood doesn't think so. Yeah, fuckers. I you know, it just got Thomas Jane in it. I think he like I really loved him in the Expanse. Yeah. I'm really too. happy that it's getting like another season. Punisher too. What was in that the, movie? I keep forgetting the name of Mutant Nation. Oh, <laughs> some garbage yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas Jane in it, and I. There's one thing I remember from the movie, and it was towards the end. And he just he delivers a line of, "I don't get paid to ask questions. I get paid to fuck shit up." And it was so <laughs> perfect. Did that, that have Olga Kalenkio in it? Maybe. I should, it was it was one of those where um, basically green screen from beginning to end. Yeah, like after not, the Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Right. That kind out. of aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, as a Russian filmmaker, I think that made it. And it had, um, fuck, Hellboy. Ron Perlman, that's right. He was in it. Uh, so I'm curious to see how the Predator, the, the big stink for me is that there's a bigger predator? Like that's really, I think, a predator, predator. That to me is really lazy. Like they did that in Predators to a yeah. I don't. Do we need that? Although apparently there's going to be female predators in this movie. What I've wondered about, and they uh, in Predators, the third movie, there is brief footage of a predator or i should say a planet where predators are yes uh, it's not necessarily the home world um but if they are a space-faring civilization there have to be like engineers who made spaceships right they can't be the kinds of dudes who are off killing stuff all day for trophies like they're sitting in an office why not how do they how well how do they type anything with their well, there's touch screens, you know, they saw they activated the self-destruct thing on their little gauntlet, so you just have to yeah, have but the that, keyboard that's so somebody, their fingernails that, are That might be somebody who, like, is using an iPhone, but, like, the person who built the iPhone had to get in there on a PCB and, like, solder some stuff down at some point. Well, obviously their technology is far more advanced than ours. Right. Maybe they aren't clacking away on a keyboard. But at the same time, here's the contradiction to that. They are a futuristic tribal society so they collect trophies they're not one for the arts they see in infrared we had this discussion in one of our episodes yes and my question is so like the art and predator too like all along that wall that glowing beautiful wall they can't fucking see any of that because they see an infrared maybe it's tech they can see and haven't they done that in like avp2 Talked about like cycling through different visions, or like uh, he does the sonic hearing vision in Predator Two. 
No, he, he sees in ultraviolet. Oh, okay. So he's, they switch between the spectrums, but none of them are in high def. Like, the, you only see That weird... we know of. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you uh, guys maybe were our saying, eyes can't yeah. interpret what there's <laughs> doing. But the, the point being, there have to be predator-like engineers, and it makes more sense that like they've got the whole civilization, and that maybe the people who come to Earth are like our people that go to Africa and shoot lions and yeah, stuff like maybe. that. Yeah, maybe. Or after a hard day of doing engineering work, there's nothing more satisfying than to go to a distant planet and kill some shit to relieve some stress. <laughs> Just I feel that need a lot. Discs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or is it that they trade with other cultures that are not, they don't deem, because it's been shown that they don't, hunt people that are not trying to hurt them like so if you don't have a gun in your hand or you're pregnant Maybe. Yeah. if you that don't pose of, a threat or a threat a to them, they're not going to engage in that way with us so do they trade with other alien species for their technology or but, do they you create know, it knowing shane black knowing how uh devoted he is to the whole franchise I, I don't want to make like predictions here, but I feel like he could absolutely go with sort of his trademark twists like we've seen in Iron Man 3, Nice Guys, Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, where it could be something like this Predator Predator is some sort of like Earth military experiment based on data that they've collected from the 80s and 90s and that yeah you know there there could be something there or at least part of the movie would be a threat about is that a possibility so like a whalen yutani thing where they want to use this alien as a biological weapon i see where you're coming from yeah i think that's a high i definitely got that vibe interesting theory yeah i i had that thought myself that this the predator of the predator was a man-made thing and unleashed to kill the predators but it's hard to say it, you know the trailers are cut in a particular way right. and you know what they do now it's a very common thing to misdirect audiences they film footage just for trailers that's not doesn't end up in the movie at all so like they did that with the new avengers movie the infinity war thing the inf- with the hulk yeah the hulk hulking out inside of the suit that was never meant that's not like a cut scene they filmed it just for the trailer as a misdirection to the audience so they wouldn't get what was happening but in the in the trailer for the predator you've got um they're inter- bringing in this guy who saw uh the predator spaceship crash land um and and there's the two guys behind the glass who are talking and you can tell that if this were not a Hollywood cut trailer, that conversation would be pure Shane Black level. Like mm-hmm. I think of uh, the Ike, Mike, and Mustard guys. Like that level of interaction. That's pretty fucking obscure, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I imagine when I see it. Is they aren't showing me the whole thing, and I I feel like I'm putting my trust in Shane Black after making you know movies like the nice guys kiss kiss bang bang but also the action movies like lethal weapon i feel like it could be pretty sweet yeah i i have i have decent hopes like i never like going with high expectations for anything but i feel like it's not going to be disappointing i certainly have higher hopes than if anyone else were to be doing for sure 
is Dutch going to be back? I don't think so. No, but he's Jake Busey yes. is in it, it playing the son of whatever Gary, Gary Busey's, Busey's character was. And just two. so you know, if that doesn't excite you enough, Crypticon this year is having a mini Starship Troopers cast reunion, oh, and Jake Busey, Busey is going to be there. This boy is going. I've already took take the time off work for it. I don't think that they're going to recreate the naked shower scene that you're hoping for. <laughs> hey, Diz is going to be there, too. Oh, jeez. Along yeah. with Casper, of course. Nice. If Michael Ironside shows up, my life will be complete. If he has a prosthetic leg, maybe? Isn't that what he had in the fake, fake arm? Leg, fake arm. Yeah. God. Did he have an eye patch? I don't know. No. Okay, you know what to do. <laughs> Go all Sam Fisher. Fuck. Uh, I'm very. I'm super excited about that. Like, I fucking love Starship Troopers. It's a great movie. It's part of the holy trifecta of Paul Verhoeven. Yes. As yeah, we've mentioned Just before. Three? <laughs> <laughs> the trifecta. The holy okay. trifecta. We're oh, talking okay. about. Like the three most important movies yeah. of all time. Yeah. And for the people who don't recall what those were. <laughs> Robocop, Total Recall, Starship Troopers. Yeah. But I, I feel like as far as, you know, directors go these days, like there aren't many that are carrying on that kind of legacy, except for maybe um, like Blade Runner 2049's Dennis... Villeneuve. Villeneuve. <laughs> Canadian. Right. Uh, but I feel like he could even step in to make a movie like The Predator, and it would be worthwhile. It would make you feel really weird. It would be very, like, it'd be lit in a very specific way. And how about Neil B? Oh, yeah. The Neil B. I'm all about the Neil B. The canceled alien project, right? Fuck. I wish that didn't get canceled because I think he would have done a good job with it. I think it would have been better than what we got. Period. I'm pre- I'm going to pretend that we didn't get anything. I am. I'm certainly... I'm cutting that right off. <sighs> it's... I think those movies are... Well... Covenant is not going to be looked back upon fondly because I refuse because that's an, a horseshit movie. But I think if you told me Danny McBride was going to be in an alien movie, I would immediately say, like, why are we doing this? Or that he's involved in a classic remake of Halloween and was one of the screenwriters of it. Right. Like, huh? He belongs in This Is The End. That... <laughs> <laughs> Pineapple Express. Right. It'll be, yeah. I'm excited to see what he does with Dune. Right. If he does well with Dune, I think the next project that he will do will be really exciting because he'll be able to take on... Because if you do Dune, you do well. And whether you like the book or not, or you like the, the David Lynch movie or whatever, the scope is huge and complex and beloved. And if you're able to make those fans happy and then actually make money off of it, that dude will be able to write his own ticket all day long. Well, we're in the middle of, like, reboot and sequel society, even to the point where, like, we're getting excited about The Predator when Shane Black totally created the nice guys from the ground up. Yeah. You know, and he has said, like, he would be happy to do a sequel for the nice guys, but 
kind of wonder, like, wouldn't it be good to put creative juices towards something that is new? And I think we'll it's like the, the Del Toro thing, though. You know, you take he does his Hollywood movie, and then he does his home project. So, and I think his projects that he does on his own accord are way better than his Hollywood projects. Like whenever Hollywood gets involved with Del Toro, they shit on it and make it terrible. And you get, you know, if you get devil's backbone or Paz labyrinth or lady in the water, he shot in between, uh, shooting on the strand. Hmm. Like they recycled all the sets from that. The TV you mean show. shape of water. Right. Lady shape? shape, the shape. shape of water. Shape of water. It's gonna say um, we're going back to Shyamalan. <laughs> Would that be an obscure like connection? So on the rest of this episode of all of the directors <laughs> of movies in cinematic history. <laughs> yeah, but I think you know, like point B, like Shane can flip back and forth. Right. Like Villeneuve, I think he's done some really good. Like I really liked The Arrival. I thought that was yes. really. Good. Have you seen that? I have not. It's really cool. I I saw it in theaters, and it was one of those ones where I'm like, eh, fuck it, I'm bored. And then when I saw it, I was at legitimately surprised at how good it was. Very hefty movie. Yeah. That you aren't expecting to be. Exactly. They didn't market it that way at all. No. And Blade Runner 2049, we've kind of discussed this a little bit before, it's a movie that pays homage tonally thematically but then takes it and does something new and goes maybe a step or two further beyond what the original movie did and i just rewatched that movie again and loved it and it's a little more it holds my attention better as much as i love the first blade runner movie but blade runner is a fucking slow burn and it only holds your attention because it's like what's going on on the screen but otherwise, it just plays out like a really long film noir movie in the future that looks like shit. And in that one, you've got, you know, the detective and the damsel kind of lady kind of thing. You know, it's it's going to repeat itself. Yeah, it's a classic. It's Maybe we could even say it goes back to Shakespeare, perhaps. There's certain themes of humanity that arise time and time again, and people that could take those tropes do something unexpected with them like Shane Black does and keep them fresh and interesting. And that's what makes Kiss Kiss Bang Bang such a great movie is that it does, it takes a classic idea. It mashes a bunch of genres together. We didn't really see that much genre mashing before that movie. Do you recall anything that like mixed like four genres into one? Nothing that I could think of off the top of off my Off the top head. of my head, I can't really think of, like, you know, everything was best, very... best, you've got, like, action comedies, you know? Um, but I don't know about that level. Right. Because he takes his base... He takes his buddy movies, buddy cop or buddy, like, thing that he does, and then throws in a bunch of tonal elements together to create this whole interesting world that's separate. Again, I think it's completely separate from even a lot of movies that are being made today. Cause even like if we, if we go back to, you know, true detective, that's a very specific tone. It there's not a lot of genre mashing in it. It's a very like hard crime thriller thing. 
and doesn't really go beyond that. Hot fuzz. Hot fuzz. Yeah. <laughs> Hot fuzz was what? 2000. Feel like it was later than a lot of things. Yeah, it was. It was the sequel, in essence, to Shaun of the Dead. Wow, 2007. So only a year after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, basically. So there you go. But Edgar Wright is, is another one of those filmmakers that's kind of his own thing upon himself. Yeah. Like he, he, you know, one of those trailblazing. I haven't seen Baby Driver yet. Oh, you you should. have to see that you movie. Really I know. I'm a terrible person. I'll get to it. There's just so much other shit. I mean, it, on the other hand, if I told you that Baby Driver is about a movie where uh, a older gentleman played by Kevin Spacey uh, coerces a young boy into doing things for him, <laughs> I, I don't know if you'd take it quite the same way. <laughs> no. yeah. uh-huh. I'd probably take it the same way that I would have maybe even th- a few years ago because he's always given me that vibe. I don't think he's ever really hidden... I think what we see on screen is him in reality and what he plays in interviews and in real life is the act. Who knows? Hollywood in general is a mystery. I I feel like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang made fun of that a lot. So did the nice guys. Just the, the whole culture of like the people at the parties who are trying to schmooze up to people that can get them the right thing or just the bizarre nightclubs with people you know with reindeer horns and stuff it's funny because shane black actually mentions his disdain for hollywood culture as but he recognizes he's basically talking about like if you want to be successful in hollywood or be a writer you have to go to hollywood you're not going to do it from new york you're not going to do it from the midwest you have to go to hollywood but doing that it comes with a whole lot of bullshit harvey weinstein kind of shit that goes along with it and it's interesting that when he did some sort of interview, like after this, all this shit came out and his excuse was, well, everyone does it and everyone still does do it. it was his justification for, oh, he never did anything without anyone's consent. So he wasn't rapey in his defense and everyone else does it. So it's okay. And Shane, I think, he alludes to a lot of that really creepy, gross behavior, especially in the nice guys where that dude walks in and Michelle Monahan is passed out or drunk or whatever it is. And oh, he, he's yeah. take adva- trying to take advantage of her. And then Robert Downey Jr., you want to take this outside? And then he gets, gets his, ass kicked. his ass kicked. I love that whole speech leading up to that yep. moment. <laughs> and then it's just, it just cuts to him getting his ass kicked. Right, throw that sort of trope on its head of like is this guy actually going to take this bigger dude out and the answer is no no he's an underdog and he he will be Uh, but like i think all of that culture happened you know starting mostly 70s it feels like like the nice guys really takes a hard hit at that because if you look at movies like hail caesar they really do glorify like 50s era movie making in hollywood and just like the magic of it and then it gets flooded with people and then suddenly just turns to garbage. And that's that's sort of the backdrop for a lot of like the nice guys and kiss kiss bang bang both. So uh I, I think it goes back I think it's it's part of Hollywood's history. So I watched a documentary on Tab Hunter. Uh so he was a fifties heartthrob 
he was the child of German immigrants, and but he was promoted as the all-American boy. The, the big thing, the shock factor, is that he was a gay man in the 50s. And so it, it really talked about his whole, like, having to basically fake relationships in the public limelight while he was doing all of these things in the background to try and hide his identity. And there's a big controversy where he was actually arrested earlier in his career um, at, like, one of these illicit clubs where those types of people hung out and that it was eventually came out against him when he wouldn't do something for a producer and ruined his career essentially. And then John Waters resurrected it, but it's a really interesting, he talks about the seedy nature of Hollywood and how they're set up and how you've got the tabloids and you've got the studios and you've got all of the seedy behavior. So you've got like plastic surgery or affairs or drug use prostitution all of these things like kind of flowing in and out even of like 40s and 50s era hollywood and it's his you know recount you know accounting of these uh these times that is very still it's very similar to kiss kiss bang bang a lot of things that we're witnessing really hasn't changed that much in 50 years boo hollywood boo hollywood but you know it's what do you, it's creative people, and I don't support behavior that negatively affects other folks, but where business and creativity and collide, you're going to find a lot of corruption. We have any other thoughts, any other morsels that we want to add about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? I think we're... Yeah, I don't... You really like the movie. I really, I really do you like really the really enjoy the movie. It's so good. It is so good. It's one of those movies, and I had forgotten about it. We, I hadn't seen it in maybe at least five years since when we watched it together. Like it's been a while, and I forgot like how good that movie actually is. And it gave me, and this is weird, but it gave me like a Chinatown vibe a little bit. Have you seen Chinatown? Yeah, I'm just trying to think in what. Well, it's just it's the noir sort of like crime thing with the, with the woman, although it didn't turn out that the woman was in on it and using. Well, there the guy. was incest stuff happening, so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just maybe a faint hint of like it's like it's like a funny L.A. Confidential. I, I think we have underplayed how funny this movie is from beginning to end from it's, opening narration to closing credits. yes yeah it's fucking hilarious and it's, it hits a level of like fast that rivals like the gilmore girls like level of fast talking extremely witty like you said like they don't talk naturally there is definitely some script writing that was just amazing in there yeah, no one talk like how they talk in that movie. People don't talk like in real life, and Shane, and that is the hallmark of Shane Black scripts. No one talks like they do in the Nice Guys either. Like that's just not a naturalistic. But it it's so entertaining to see in a movie, and it lacks. But it, it's fine actually. I think if anyone else did that kind of thing as much as Shane Black did, it wouldn't be as good. So I appreciate the fact that it's not an overused style that it's with him you know like tarantino is tarantino 
Shane Black is Shane Black. And there's a, you know, how many filmmakers do you really think of? Like we we're, we're talking about Shyamalan, but what is his style other than making bad movies? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know but, what I mean? Like I said, there's a variety of crap. There's a so. variety of crap. He is mediocre. He's a guy that gets infinite chances in Hollywood to make mediocre movies, which is amazing to me where a guy like Shane Black was almost blacklisted out of Hollywood because he had one bad script. And in really in reality, The Long Kiss Goodnight is a great movie. It just genre mashed at a time that didn't hit audiences right, but in retrospect is an amazing movie. Where can you really say that about most filmmakers? My one hope is that Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer both love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as much as we do. Like that they look back on it and they're like, this is one of the best projects we've done. Yeah. The most fun to film. Something like that. Because um, they just, better yeah. because it's amazing. Like, and it's close enough to the time where Robert Downey Jr. was getting his life back together where he still got a little bit of those like mannerisms. Like he is a little bit twitchy, but yeah. like he is definitely a guy on the a road to redemption at that point. Like he's phenomenal in this movie. His performance is, is one of those that he borders on so many of like extreme emotions all at once that it's like it's hard to really kind of like take in all at once because like everything he's doing is really kinetic but then he has like these underlying emotions that he's able to convey through it like i love the scene in the beginning where like he gets busted and he runs up and gets into that audition and like the first like he reads the first playthrough and it's awful <laughs> and then the cop comes in and like he just nails it like just that the body the mannerisms that he does the way he does it like the he sells emotion and distress really well you know like when he gets his finger amputated yeah. by a door <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that's that's well played yeah I, it, that's the thing is like you he he adds things to scenes where i think a lot of other actors maybe can sell that it's actually happening but he does it at one, at some point, it seems like way over the top, but then again, it also seems really natural at the same time. Like you could identify like reacting that way, even though I don't think most people would react in the way that he does. Like it really shows like how dynamic being over the top. It's like if Jim Carrey really learned how to act, because Jim Carrey is always over the top and he doesn't do subtle really well. Right, yeah, I mean, he would play a great like Doctor Robotnik per se. <laughs> <laughs> but like he could be like RDJ could flare up to that level of like mania that Jim Carrey has, but bring it down to still be very human and approachable and still be charming and relatable. Yeah, but and I don't know about Jim Carrey entirely because Eternal Sunshine is one of my top picks. Sure. He's got a lot of range in that. But, like, yeah, it's... RDJ so, out of how really, many movies yeah. do yeah. you get how, that? <laughs> you have to mine down the ore a lot to get the gold <laughs> yeah. speck of gold to put in your gold slugger. That's a great movie. I think that's a product of where he was in his career. Right. 
the filmmaker and how he was handled. Because I think you have like, if you get him on a movie, you not just have to you get him. You also have to find a wrangler to like wrangle him down. And then you make a movie like the number twenty three. Yeah. What the fuck? Did you ever see this? I did not. Jesus oh. Christ! What a shit show. Well, I, I did that on purpose. You're lucky. You've saved yourself some yeah, time. You saved your soul. And I don't know what happened with Joel Schumacher because he did Lost Boys. Lost Boys yeah. is a great movie, and it's not over the top. It's not cheesy, but he does Batman Forever, Batman. Fucking whatever the fuck. Batman and Robin. Yes, that shit show. He does the number 23. He does 8mm. He's just got a hard on for Jim Carrey because he put him in as the Riddler. (laughs) Yeah. 8mm. That was a good one. It was it was good. In in the world of Nick Cage movies. (laughs) Well, we'll just leave it at that. I love Nick Cage, so. Now does that place above or below Drive Angry for Nick Cage movies? Uh, above. Okay. All right, all right. But, like, Joel Sh- Lost Boys is a great movie where, you know, the other ones, I, I don't what happened that, like, the number tw- How did the Lost number Boys isn't over the top at all, you don't think? I don't know. I think mm. it fits really well. It actually defines the 80s in a lot of ways, and I think the performances are not shit, and I think the material is mildly believable of its time like i i could still watch I, in fact i did i rewatched that movie not that long ago and i wasn't turned off by it like it wasn't like oh jesus christ this is such an 80s movie i need to like move beyond it like the Corys did a great job Kiefer sutherland was menacing as fuck yeah and that was like the movie that made him that's what introduced him into the world and it's a great movie. It's no Critters Three. It's much it's better no than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better start. Yes, we we really do need to finish watching the rest of that. Yes, we do that uh, series just so we can come back and actually do a show on them. I'm excited about. It. I feel like the series gets better as it goes on, but I could be completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I want to just that you were getting progressively more drunk as you were watching them. And so the inverse sort of like I, the fun <laughs> factor went up. So I haven't watched. So we watched Critters before the episode that we did on it. And like I, I bought it and it's. It's something had, you own. <laughs> it's something I own. It, and it's one of those things like I fondly remember that movie but I don't remember if I fondly remember the first movie or the rest of the movies or I was just a kid and that's nostalgia talking and it's filtering like how much of a shit show those movies are. Exactly. We're going to find yeah, out. We're going to delve right. into that. We will have to revisit it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I feel like we get a lot more into the universe of those movies as they progress. We'll see. Oh, we will. We definitely will. We've got a lot of things that we're diving into. Uh, so any other final thoughts, comments that we want to add about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? I should point out that we did watch it in superior HD DVD format. <laughs> yes. So a fun fact. I, you know, I said, hey, do you want to watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? And you said, always. 
And then you told me you had it on Laserdisc, or no, HD DVD. And I said, okay, we have to watch it on an HD DVD player. And we did. Yes, I still have my one. No, no. no, you had the standalone. Yes, I I have the best HD DVD player that was available in North America. And I can't let go of it because it is such an extreme piece of engineering. And I have a few movies on it that are fun. Uh, Tokyo Drift. I was just going to say Tokyo Drift. (laughs) (laughs) To, To name one of them, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, another one. But it's... It's something that I won't get rid of. It's useless, but I... It is a sexy machine. It is. It really and is. And you have that thing, like, factory sealed, like, beautifully kept. Like, when you brought yeah, that that's machine because it doesn't get used. That's... I take care of it well. I, I have, it's wrapped up in foam. I just rewrapped it up today and put it back in its spot. You take care of your babies. I do. And so, I just... I thought it was entertaining that... You had it like so neatly wrapped, so well taken care of. And we're going to unfurl this thing to watch one movie. And you're going to have to go through the whole process again after that and put it away. Uh, it was worth it. Image quality, <laughs> though, was really great. And, you know, I posted a picture of my HD DVD player on Instagram. And a few people came in and chimed in with, you know, some of the releases on HDVD look better than some blu-ray ones and other people came in and agreed with that so i don't know maybe there's something to it but it did look really good i don't know if that's the format i don't know if it's my particular tv combination of the both whatever but it did look very good why can't they combine the compressive technology of hd dvd with the format power of blu-ray think of the think of the possibilities it's to keep the poor man down Obviously. I am constantly kept down, so it's working. <laughs> constantly chasing the obsolete formats. Yeah, but uh, that that was all I wanted to add to okay. it. Okay, I, I will say I have loaned this movie to people more frequently than any other movie. I think I loaned it to my dad three separate occasions before he ended up just buying a copy of his own. I was going to say, like, like buy just, your own damn copy yeah, at that point. It's, it is good enough, and you can always find it pretty much anywhere. It's it is. Not... It's what what I like about the movie is there's a timeless. It, there's a timeless aspect to it, but then again, it's of a particular time because it's tied to the noir tradition. So it it the beats of the movie, I suppose, are of a certain era, but it's juxtaposed by like 2004 style. Uh, so it it just has a weird timeless quality about it. I did notice that Robert Downey Jr.'s eyelashes are still really dark in that movie. So if you ever notice, there's a transition with RDJ that his eyelashes are like super super dark, and like now they're not as dark. So if you ever, so you're you, really looking deep into his eyes. Oh, that, <laughs> that's what you can do with HD DVD. <laughs> yeah. So okay, here's how I could show it to you. So Iron Man. Is it Iron Man 3, maybe? Where he has that reverse engineer de-aging scene? Yeah, that's 3. 3. So if you notice in that, like his eyes look really weird. And you go back and you watch Less Than Zero. They did a really good job of reproducing it. And it looks different than how he does now. Just you look at someone in their face and his eyelashes are just really dark. 
Okay, maybe I'm clearly I'm the only one that noticed I, that. I guess it's so. distracting. It was really distracting for me. The it's only like, distraction or weird thing I've ever seen that had anything to do with someone's eyelashes is just like Brother Ali is a regular customer at my work. Yes. And he's albino, albino so his eyelashes are super white and that just really sticks out. So that's the that's the only thing that I can go off of on that kind of thing. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. So until next time, this is Eric. I prefer Gennaro's. <laughs> but what do I know? I'm just a bear. I suck the heads off fish. <laughs>